Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Phones, if you have them on, and remind you that the session is being recorded. Um, I'll remind you also to please pay for lunch in the baskets on your tables, $11. Um, SACPA is a volunteer nonprofit organization and relies on the contributions of members and session attendees to continue its work. Memberships are available from Lisa if you don't already have them. We would like to thank the U of All, U of L for support and distribution of notices, Country Kitchen Catering for great lunches, Shaw TV for broadcasting sessions Sundays at 4.30 p.m., CKXU 88.3 FM Radio Live, and Lethbridge Herald, as well as any other media covering SACPA events. We are going to have 25 to 30 minutes for a presentation. We're going to have lunch and question period, and we'll finish at about 1.30 p.m. At this time, I would like to introduce Dr. Rob Sutherland. He's the president of the Confederation of Alberta Faculty Associations, the professor and chair of neuroscience and the Canadian Center for Behavioral Neuroscience at the University of Lethbridge. Um, I invite you to please give him a warm welcome. I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to come and uh, speak with you about this topic, something uh, very dear to my heart. Um, we'll be talking about um, funding for post-secondary institutions, mainly universities in Alberta and the rest of Canada. And it should come as no surprise that a professor at a university is going to come and complain about cuts. Um, to uh, university funding, but I hope to provide you with a little bit of a perspective on why universities matter and why reducing the capacities uh, and changing the nature of universities is uh, uh, a, a bad idea. <clears throat> okay. First, let's take a look at um, the province of Alberta. Um, many of you probably know, I hope you know, that Alberta has the lowest participation rate in universities of, of any province in Canada. Uh, these data are a couple of years old. The trend that uh, I've seen more recently is no different. We're still at the bottom in terms of participation rate. Um, you may have heard different things about how um, universities are doing extremely well in Alberta. The fact of the matter is that uh, we are at the bottom in terms of participation rate. Another important thing to know uh, for this talk is that um, the government funding of universities as a share of the total operating <laughs> revenue of a university has been declining quite dramatically since uh, 1981. And here we go. So if you take a look at, uh, for example, um, Ontario, uh, the rate has gone down um, from a very high value in the uh, 80% down to 46%. We've seen a similar trend in Alberta, where uh, we were up around 80% of the operating revenue uh, for the universities was uh, coming from the government, we're now down around 60%. So there's a disinvestment um, in uh, funding 
universities by provincial governments. The same time that this is happening, the proportion of the university's operating revenue that's coming from student tuition, coming directly from the students, has been going up. Uh, the national trend should be pretty clear here. Uh, 1980 is the light bar. The dark bar is the most recent year that I have data for. And what you can see over here in the province of Alberta is a dramatic increase in the proportion of the operating revenues of the university that's coming from student tuition. Um, probably for most of you, I don't need to draw your attention to the fact that in Canada, the income gap between the richest fifth of the population compared to the poorest fifth of the population has been steadily rising uh, over the past uh, 20 years um, so that the people who are what we would consider to be working poor or in the lowest income bracket are actually experiencing or receiving a lower proportion of the wealth in Canada, at the same time as their sons and daughters are being called upon to pay an increasing cost of a university education. And the government is investing a lower proportion in universities. Let's look a little more closely at recent history in Alberta. Um, in 2012, uh, Alison Redford promised in writing to the universities to provide a stable 2% increase in funding over a three-year period, 2% per year over three years. This was the number taken by universities for planning forward, for developing their long-term plans for increasing capacity and increasing programming. And it was very much in line with her election platform. So this was written after she had been elected uh, premier. Um, my organization, CAFA, did have the opportunity to uh, ask her questions during her election platform or during her election campaign in March 2012. And I thought I'd share with you some of her answers that she gave. Um, what is your long-term vision for the province's post-secondary system? She said she wanted it to be world-class uh, based around clusters of excellence. She wanted it to be diverse, well-funded, and fully staffed such that the aspirations of Albertans could be realized. She wanted it to be inclusive, lots of programming available to um, rural and remote communities. Second question we asked was, will post-secondary be a priority? Absolutely, she said. Post-secondary will get the attention and support it needs from the government. Um, do you support an immediate increase in provincial spending in post-secondary? Uh, at least to cover the cost of inflation and expanding enrollments? Yes. Could not be more clear. We asked her um, if she would undertake to provide stable and predictable multi-year funding. Absolutely she will. Um, she promised a three-year funding cycle, and her written assurances after the election uh, contributed to uh, the belief that that's what she would do. Do you agree with the direction set by recent initiatives intended to align publicly funded research, including in the universities, more closely with provincial priorities, which really mean the relevant business sectors within Alberta. No, she does not agree with that. 
Um, and she does agree that there need to be shared priorities, but she's not basically going to micromanage research um, in the province of Alberta. Um, finally, she was asked what she thought of liberal ed- arts education in building the kind of society. Uh, she was absolutely clear that she believes they, that liberal arts are vital um, and that while some may not respect liberal arts, her government will. Uh, and she promised to provide funding that would maintain the diversity of programming in the liberal arts. She was elected. Her first budget contained the most massive cut in funding to post-secondary that we've seen in this province, completely opposite to what she had said when campaigning for our votes. Um, It was a $147 million cut. It meant minus 7.3% for the University of Lethbridge, And there were letters of expectation sent from her government telling the universities that they had to align themselves completely with the business agenda within Alberta. There was lots of opposition that that emerged to this funding cut and the micromanaging of priorities of the universities. Um, And I think some of the opposition in the streets and in campaigns that involved um, publicity campaigns and letter writing, some of it was successful. And I think some of the cosmetic changes we've seen in the cabinet shuffle where the face of Lukashik has been moved away from this portfolio um, in a more seasoned hand put in, uh, I think that's in response uh, to some of this mounting opposition. The tuition freeze that was brought forward by the government was a way of trying to dissipate opposition uh, from the students. Why did this happen? Why did she do this? Why did her government do this? Um, There was a lot of verbiage that came out between February and May about the uh, defunding of post-secondary education. The Minister of Enterprise and Advanced Education, Thomas Lukashik, I think was very clear, uh, and he was very clear in conversations with me. He called the deep funding cut an enabler, He said the government was doing this because the universities would not align themselves with the provincial agenda. He wanted to secure the cooperation of post-secondary institutions in building a new-look post-secondary system. In September of 2012, Redford had met with key people from the universities to try to get them to align with her agenda, and they refused. And the budget cut was actually to enable their cooperation in her program. Lukashik and Redford have been very clear that they want uh, universities to align with a more business-oriented agenda to provide students trained for the jobs that businesses want now in Alberta, and they want research done that will be in line with the commercial and business agenda of businesses operating in Alberta. Lukashik told me and other people in the universities, this is simply not negotiable. This is what will happen. Um, Lukashik talked about generating a knowledge-based economy and that the universities had to develop commercializable research capacity, and they had to do it right away. That was one of his major themes. He said that the rules of ownership of intellectual property, that is the the ideas, the the books, the, the patents that are developed in Alberta universities, have to be opened up for commercial partners to use and not be held by the universities as part of a public trust. Um, 
he said that the universities had to learn how to earn their own money through um, uh, managing their intellectual property uh, properly. Why does this matter? This has been a very memorable moment for post-secondary in Alberta. It's by far the most important downsizing that we've seen in a generation. Um, it's creating an important loss of opportunity for our students to participate effectively in university of education. There are program closures, reduction in capacity in many existing programs. There's a, a reduction in the quality of programs. There's been a loss of staff at the University of, of Lethbridge. There's a loss of faculty members as well as non-academic staff uh, that's occurred that will continue to produce reductions in quality uh, at Lethbridge and elsewhere. I think long term, there's also a significant loss of economic benefit uh, from the post-secondary system to the province of Alberta. Uh, the way that funding has taken place with $147 million taken out, partway through the year, $50 million put back in, simply makes long-term planning impossible. Um, university boards and administrators don't have a clue what to expect in the next budget. Uh, they're probably sitting there reading the tea leaves of the next bitumen bubble in order to figure out what's going to uh, happen. Um, a topic that's near and dear to my heart and that is uh, central to universities. Universities are unique in providing the home for free inquiry and scholarly research um, in a way that we don't find anywhere else in our society. Uh, there's a big change in the funding landscape, not just in Alberta, but in Canada in general. And the major element is to move public funding, that is tax money um, that comes into provincial governments out of universities and independent research centers to pay for commercialization activities that private businesses are unwilling to pay for in Canada. Now, that's a concept I haven't heard articulated very much. But the fact of the matter is, Canada is a poor partner when it comes to the amount of GDP, that is the wealth of Canada, that businesses invest back in to research and development. We're horrible compared to Luxembourg or the Czech Republic or the Irish Republic or Belgium or Slovenia or Iceland. We have businesses that operate here that collect money from their enterprises that they do not reinvest here. And that presents quite a big problem for governments in Canada. Just to let you know that this trend um, isn't just due to the 2008 recession, um, what we have here is the average of OEC states uh, and the U.S. Both batteries are on. Um, versus Canada, which is in red. Um, and you can see Canada's declining in business investment in research and development, whereas the U.S. and the other OECD states are not. And Alberta is particularly bad when it comes to our businesses investing in research and development. Here's Alberta over here. <coughs> this is 2002, 2006, 2010. There's the Canadian average, and there's the OECD average. Uh, Alberta is especially bad. 
And yet Redford says it's the universities that need to figure out how to invest their efforts into commercialization activities. The cost is going to be large. And one of the costs of doing much more commercialization type research is a loss of academic integrity in our universities, um, a loss of freedom to engage in critical inquiries, to engage in the kind of research that may actually not be in alignment with business interests. There'll be a loss in the long-term benefit from fundamental or basic research. The kind of research that pays off in decades, not in a two- or three-year funding cycle. Um, the kind of thing that uh, I was looking at um, the history of the development of the Internet, um, uh, because that's one of the most successful commercializable ideas. Um, the first idea for developing the Internet was published in a Ph.D. thesis in 1961. It was basically the mathematics to package up information in a way that could operate switches to switch out information in, in a big network. 1961. It wasn't until 30 years later that there was any commercialization of that idea. Um, and to think that um, universities will develop significant new advances that will create a knowledge economy in a two- or three-year funding cycle is preposterous. That's not how things work. We'll also see fewer benefits from high-quality accessible university education. And I'll talk a little bit later about what some of the more uh, or less concrete uh, benefits are. The model, there are many models of funding research in universities and uh, scholarly activity. The one that I like best is an iceberg model. Um, in terms of things that actually reach the commercial development stage, that's simply the tip of the iceberg. There's so much that has to happen before any particular idea emerges above the surface and becomes an idea that can drive economic prosperity. Um, and it's all this stuff that we need to have the public fund in order to be able to benefit from this little bit that's at the top. What this little bit that's at the top, um, if, if what we do is only fund that, we'll only be skimming off the surface and benefiting from those things that are ripe now at this exact moment um, for commercial development. And, of course, that's what business wants. They want the public to pay for the immediate commercialization development that in other countries they, uh, they pay for themselves. In Alberta, we've seen uh, the claim that Alberta universities need to fund, or Alberta needs to fund more commercial and applied uh, research, things with a quick economic impact, and as part of trying to address that claim, I had a look at the funding, the research project funding portfolio of all of the Alberta Innovates corporations. So there are four of them, and only four, and they are the only organizations that fund research in Alberta. Um, and this includes health solutions, biosolutions, and tech futures. So I took a look at, um, in 2011, exactly which projects they funded. First off, Alberta Health Solutions, Alberta Innovates Health Solutions, only funds applied research or translation research. That is, only things that have an immediate application to a health product or to clinical health delivery. 
No basic research projects are funded at all. Zero. I took a look at Alberta Innovate's biosolutions. And if you take a look, they only fund things in three areas. Their three priority areas are advancing the bioeconomy, and this involves either agricultural research, developing uh, uh, genetic strains of animals that have leaner beef and this sort of thing, or things that support the energy industry. Number two is quality food. Um, and again, here's where we have um, GM foods that are being produced that will produce um, specific kinds of crops or livestock. The third area is prion and prion misfolding diseases, and that is mad cow disease, uh, only research to protect um, that part of the industry from um, uh, bovine spongiform encephalitis. Alberta Innovates Tech Futures was initially created only to fund commercializable technical, technical, technical ideas, uh, and that's what they continue to fund. So the only research they fund is to support uh, the innovation priorities of the government in agriculture, forestry, energy, the environment, health, and other areas that the government determines. Um, and it's to foster the growth of new and existing industries. Um, 100% of the funding right now through the Alberta Innovate System for projects is for applied commercialization research. So do we have unbalanced funding? No thanks, we already have that. Um, it is extremely difficult to defend any claim that uh, we need more <clears throat> applied research or commercialization research, things with short-term economic impact. <clears throat> um, Thomas Lukashuk told me that the province didn't need to worry about funding um, basic research activities at the university because the federal government does that, right? So let's take a look at what they're doing. Uh, one of the most important organizations that was created after, um, actually between the two world wars in the 20th century, was the National Research Council of Canada. The National Research Council of Canada did fundamental research on a wide range of topics of uh, importance uh, to the Canadian public. Harp under Harper, the National Research Council of Canada is refocused. And I think Gary Goodyear has um, said it best that the NRC is to simply become a concierge service that offers a single phone number to connect business to all the research, to all of their research and development needs. It literally is a phone number staffed by people with master's degrees who most of the calls are connected to um, companies that are in the energy field that are trying to find people to do certain kinds of uh, research for them. Uh, the National Research Council is gutted. The scientists who'd worked there their entire careers um, were uh, laid off. If we look at the regions or the areas that are supposed to fund basic research, um, so SHRC or the Social Sciences and Humanity Research Council, the Natural Science and Engineering Research Council, and the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, you can see over here that since 2007, the change has been negative. Um, SHRC in particular is down 10%. Minus 6.4 for NSERC, minus 7.5 for 
CHR. This despite the fact that um, costs of doing research have been escalating dramatically. I know NSERC particularly well, being a natural scientist, um, and what you can see in this graph is the change in basic discovery grants. These are the basic open competitive grants that fund most of the scientists in Canada. The amount of money available for this open competition for new ideas has gone down since 2008. And the amount of money available through NSERC that isn't openly available for competition, but is so-called fettered uh, research funds, has gone up. Let me give you an example of what fettered uh, research funding is all about. Uh, this is an NSERC program called the Engage Grant. The Engage program is to support short-term research and development projects aimed at addressing a company-specific project. So one business has a problem, and they can apply to the government to get funding uh, for this uh, particular uh, uh, research problem. The funding for that has gone up dramatically over the past few years. The success rate is 90%. To put that in context, the success rate for somebody applying to NSERC who doesn't already have a grant, so he's trying to get their first grant, is about 20%. Okay, so uh, if, you're, if you're working for a company-specific, uh, on a company-specific problem, you're okay. The broad trends in research support federally are shifting money away from basic research. Um, they have defunded politically inconvenient research. They're changing the priorities of all the granting council, councils to make them more business-oriented. A lot of the resources are being diverted to international stars. Um, they are getting experts to have to sign agreements that they will not speak directly to um, uh, press or speak openly at uh, scientific meetings. They're directing public science funding to private profit. And finally, they're promoting undue corporate influence, in my opinion, uh, uh, within university research. I'd like to jump ahead, actually, to uh, I don't actually think there's anything wrong in companies doing their own research and development. Um, so don't, don't get me wrong about that. I think that if they want to develop a new you know, quantum computer, that they should invest in that and develop that new technology. Um, but one of the problems emerges when businesses start investing in university research. And this is a very recent report that came out from the Canadian Association of University Teachers. Um, this organization that uh, CAFA belongs to um, took a look at 12 major collaborations or partnerships between major corporations and universities. Three of them, three out of the 12 are in Alberta. Um, here's the list. Uh, I won't belabor it. Uh, a lot of it has to do with um, um, uh, business administration um, and with energy research. But they took a look at the contracts. They had to FOIP most of them because the agreements aren't in the public domain. These are public institutions, but the contracts they sign are not even available for faculty members, students, or even ordinary administrators uh, to read. So the vast majority of them, this is just a little graphic, um, have no public disclosure of the information in the, the agreement. So we can't actually tell what they agreed to unless you FOIP it. 
Second, is there protection for academic freedom within the document? The vast majority of them, no. Is there a requirement for disclosure of institutional or individual conflict of interest with the private industries that are involved? Only one out of 12 had a requirement for disclosure of conflict of interest. Does the university complain, retain complete control over all academic matters? Half gave it up to the corporate partner to make decisions about who should be hired. Does the agreement ensure the members' ability to publish their data? This includes students who are working on projects, and the majority of them have no guarantee that the students or staff can publish. Are the funding decisions made with peer review experts? Vast majority, no. It's just a decision made by the company. Do the PEIs have access to their own data on the projects they're working on? The vast majority, there's no guarantee that the principal investigators can even access their own data. So um, CAUT and the American Association of University Professors have jointly come up with a series of principles that should animate the collaborative agreements between universities and um, private partners. And I think these are, at a minimum, the kinds of guarantees of a university of integrity that we need. Despite that, the ex-minister of advanced education said collaboration is no threat to um, universities in Alberta. The new minister is looking for more commercialization activity from Alberta universities. So this cosmetic change, new face, we still have exactly the same government priorities. There's not going to be any change uh, with this new minister. Um, I think I'll skip to my final point, um, and that is that the scholarly and research activity in universities animates and enriches the educational process. It provides opportunities for students at all levels to engage in good research. Um, it's extremely important that this research occur in universities because information from this kind of evidence is critical in a democracy making decisions. And I'll stop right there. Thank you. Well, thank you again to Dr. Robert Sutherland for that very informative and harrowing talk. Um, we invite you to enjoy your meal and discuss any questions you might have for him while you enjoy your lunch. Again, just remind, a reminder to put your money in the basket if you haven't done so already. Thank you.